Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you on the afternoon of March 6th, 2023, from uh, a location somewhere in Mexico where I um, happen to continue to be at the moment. I wanted to rant about this uh, last week, but I was, so to speak, indisposed by certain unforeseen occurrences. So I'm ranting about it now. But uh, of course, we just passed the one year anniversary of the start of the Ukraine war, Putin's massive invasion of Ukraine, which uh, was noted by The Nation magazine in predictably dishonest manner with an editorial written by the Nation Editorial Board entitled To Save Ukraine and the War. And what's maddening is that those who look to The Nation magazine for progressive analysis of world events, because of the magazine's provenance, as a progressive voice, will get taken in by this despite the fact that over the past several years, the nation has utterly abandoned both progressive values and basic journalistic standards and become a mere propaganda arm of Russian foreign policy aims, whether in Ukraine or Syria, as we extensively documented on our podcast of August 28, 2022. So more such documentation coming at you. Let's do a line-by-line breakdown of some excerpts of this propaganda. From their editorial of February 16th, to save Ukraine end the war, with the fighting poised to take an ominous turn, now is the time to push for a ceasefire. Quote, February 24th marks the first anniversary of Russia's illegal and brutal invasion of Ukraine. While we salute the extraordinary courage and resistance of the Ukrainian people, the occasion is a sad one, marked by a continuing war, mounting lives lost, people maimed, cities and villages savaged, families displaced, un- Quote, okay, the uh, acknowledgement of Russia's illegal and brutal invasion of Ukraine, as well as the salute to the extraordinary courage and resistance of the Ukrainian people, is the most condescending, empty lip service, as we shall see, as this whole editorial is aimed at betraying the Ukrainian people and rewarding Russia's illegal and brutal invasion. And as for the sad occasion, may we please note that it would be a whole lot sadder if not for that extraordinary courage and resistance of the Ukrainian people who have resisted the Russian advance more successfully than anyone anticipated a year ago. Of course, there was no acknowledgement of this. And the nation editors quickly reign on their own hypocritical parade, quote, the euphoria 
that greeted early Ukrainian successes in the field has contributed to a sense in both Washington and Brussels that outright military victory, perhaps even regime change in Moscow, are realistic objectives, end quote. Now, can we please keep in mind that anything other than an outright military victory means ceding Ukrainian territory to Russia, which in turn means the oppression, persecution, and potentially massacre and genocide of the people within those territories. At the bare minimum, this admonition against outright military victory means ceding Crimea to Moscow. So this is yet another so-called progressive commentary on Ukraine that does not even mention the Crimean Tartars, the Turkic and Muslim indigenous people of the Crimean Peninsula who have been facing growing oppression and persecution since Russian annexation of their territory in 2014. It's like they don't even exist. Yet again, disgraceful. We should also point out that since Putin's regime has already declared the status of annexed territories to be off the table, there really isn't anything to negotiate. Unless you are less hypocritically calling for an outright military defeat for Ukraine, regime change in Moscow is about the only way to end the war. Don't blame me. Blame Vladimir Putin. That's just the political reality that he has declared, not me. Quote, to date, the Biden administration has held the line against direct involvement of U.S. forces, sensibly fearing a war between two nuclear powers. But as the cost and the scope of our commitment rises, there will be growing chorus that the U.S. cannot afford to lose. If the U.S had a role in the destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines. As Seymour Hersh's recent report is the latest to suggest, then the Biden administration has already taken fateful steps down the road of replacing Ukraine as Russia's main military adversary, unquote. Now, I'm agnostic on who sabotaged the Nord Stream pipeline because I don't know. But Seymour Hirsch, give me a break. Whatever his laurels from the Vietnam era may be, he is today a discredited hack who relies almost entirely on unverifiable anonymous sources and has an openly pro-Moscow agenda. This is the same Cy Hirsch who has over and over peddled baseless conspiracy theories about how the chemical attacks in Syria were false flags carried out by the rebels against their own people and not by the Moscow-backed dictatorship of Bashar Assad in defiance of the findings of the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons and every bona fide human rights group, including making such claims on Kremlin state media outlet RT. I am not in the slightest bit interested in what Cy Hirsch has to say about the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline. Nonetheless, in the name of due diligence, I did check out his piece, tiresome as it was, on his Substack page, February 8th, 
how America took out the Nord Stream pipeline. Completely dishonest headline. Pretending to make hard claims, but in reality, it all comes down, once again, to completely unverifiable sources. Returning to the text of the editorial, quote, Yet so far, Biden has largely acquiesced to Kiev's calls for more weaponry and increasing U.S. military entanglement. Most Americans would be surprised to learn that Ukrainian troops are already training at a U.S. Army base in Oklahoma, end quote. Uh, not quite sure why this is a bad thing, unless you are rooting for a Russian victory. Come on, Nation Magazine, why don't you just drop the peacenik facade already? And finally, they do kind of drop the facade. In the next paragraph, quote, a diplomatic settlement will not be easy to achieve. Both sides will have to make concessions. Ukraine will need security guarantees, resources for rebuilding, and a future within Europe. But it will have to surrender hopes for regaining all the territory it has lost since 2014. Russia will need to relinquish much of the territory it claims to have annexed. Eventually, it will need relief from international sanctions, end quote. In other words, fuck the Crimean Tartars, fuck the Ukrainians living in the Donbass. They're going to have to accede to permanent occupation and possible extermination in exchange for Russia ceding some small portion of seized territories in order to keep the rest without even fear of economic sanction. Gee, what a great recipe for peace. Telling people to shut up and accept permanent occupation. It certainly worked out really well in Palestine. And then the disgraceful finish, quote, we must reject the siren song of those who would fight to the last Ukrainian. Giving the suffering they have endured, Ukrainians may be understandably reluctant to accept the settlement, but the U.S. and its NATO partners surely know that time is not on Ukraine's side. The Western unity, so vital to Ukraine's defense, is already beginning to fracture. To save Ukraine and to avoid the risk of a truly catastrophic, possibly nuclear, great power conflict, it is time to seek an end to the war. For that to happen, the U.S. and its allies must now lead the push for peace, end quote, the end. This is so hideous. First, we get the fight to the last Ukrainian cliche, as if the Ukrainians were mere puppets of the West and not fighting for their very national and physical survival, so utterly condescending, unabashed imperial narcissism that sees the Ukrainians as mere pawns on the great chessboard. You find me one Ukrainian who views the Ukrainian people in such terms, Nation Magazine, I'll be waiting. Then they write that the Western unity so vital to Ukraine's defense is already beginning to fracture, as if they were not openly attempting to help this process along. And then they state that their aim is, quote, to save Ukraine and to avoid the risk of a truly catastrophic, possibly nuclear great power conflict, end quote. No, that's bosh. Their aim is to destroy or at least reduce Ukraine 
to avoid the risk of a truly catastrophic, possibly nuclear great power conflict, which is the most cowardly and deluded manifestation of Western bourgeois pacifism imaginable. All of this comes down to the cowardly and hypocritical notion that Ukraine, or at least parts of it, are to be sacrificed for world peace. <clears throat> that because Putin has the nuke, we have to give him whatever he wants. First, history amply demonstrates that appeasement doesn't work. Appeasement of Hitler in Czechoslovakia and Austria didn't avert World War II. It directly led to it. And if you need a refresher on the history, you'll refer back to our podcast of October 1st, 2022. Rewarding Putin for his nuclear threats isn't going to make the risk of nuclear war less likely. It's going to make it more likely, while also incentivizing every revanchist or expansionist out there who covets a piece of a neighboring country's territory to similarly escalate up the nuclear ladder. China's designs on Taiwan are the most obvious and dangerous example, but there's also Azerbaijan's claims on Armenian-controlled territory, Serbia's claims on Kosovo, the border dispute between Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan, which has recently come to actual fighting, despite little outside media coverage, and the longtime maritime border dispute between Israel and Lebanon over waters rich in hydrocarbons. Now, only one of the countries involved in those disputes actually has the nuke, Israel, on an unacknowledged basis, but all the rest are in parts of the world where ex-Soviet nuclear arms and materials are floating around on the black market and could procure nuclear capabilities fairly easily. And if Putin prevails in Ukraine, they will be incentivized to do so. The notion that rewarding aggression is the answer to world peace is obvious Orwellian jive. And I'm not the one who's being glib here. Of course, there are risks to resisting Russia. But could we please get some acknowledgement of the risks of not resisting Russia? And uh, interestingly, this editorial is accompanied on the nation website by a teaser link to another piece by Reed Brody, the veteran war crimes prosecutor and human rights watch investigator, entitled Prosecuting Putin, How the Dumble Standards of International Justice Are Obstacles, ran on February 10th in the nation. Now, this piece is, on the face of it, entirely laudable, calling for bringing Putin to justice, while also calling out the double standards on the questions. He writes, I'm going to read a, an excerpt, quote, as the war in Ukraine enters its second year, crimes by Russian forces continue to shock the world. But will Russian leaders, including President Vladimir Putin, ever be held to account? The massive justice mobilization has already surpassed any precedent by orders of magnitude, 
Ukrainian prosecutors have opened 60,000 war crimes files. The International Criminal Court has opened its largest field operation ever in Kyiv and raised unprecedented contributions from Western governments in support of its probe. A dozen other states have jumped in by opening criminal investigations in their own courts. And even more, including the United States, have sent forensic experts and financial support to Ukrainian prosecutors. The United Nations has created a commission of inquiry. Everyone, it seems, is getting into the act. This is precisely the kind of overwhelming judicial response that all mass atrocities should elicit. Victims in places like Ethiopia and Yemen can only hope they will now get the same attention, not to mention Palestinians, whose complaints to the ICC of Israeli war crimes have gotten the slow-go treatment since 2015, or the long-suffering victims of the Bush administration's torture program in Afghanistan, which ICC Prosecutor Karim Khan has deprioritized, arguing limited resources. And I'm going to cut to uh, the last paragraph in this piece. Quote, let us be clear. Putin should be prosecuted for presumptive war crimes and aggression. And even if he is not arrested today, these crimes have no statute of limitations and will hang over his head forever. The question is whether the welcome justice mobilization around the horrors he has visited on Ukraine will be applied to crimes committed by powerful Western actors, end quote. Once again, from war crimes prosecutor Reed Brody's piece in The Nation magazine, February 10th, prosecuting Putin, how the double standards of international justice are obstacles. Now, there is nothing here that I disagree with whatsoever. I support it 100%. My only misgiving, and it is a big one, is that it appears in the pages of The Nation magazine and therefore serves to legitimize their pro-Putin editorial line. We've noted before that that's how the game is played the nation occasionally runs a good piece like this one to balance the pro-Putin propaganda they overwhelmingly run and create the impression that support for and opposition to aggressive war are equally legitimate positions. So I fear that Reed Brody is unwittingly helping to move the Overton window in a pro-Putin direction, and urge him to find a better outlet for his important words. And finally, I will note that at the end of the disgraceful editorial that I analyzed, The Nation magazine flaunts its credentials with the following words, quote, founded by abolitionists in 1865, The Nation has chronicled the breadth and depth of political and cultural life from the debut of the telegraph to the rise of Twitter, serving as a critical, independent, and progressive voice in American journalism, end quote. And I find this to be so perverse. 
The abolitionists, up to and including Frederick Douglass, overwhelmingly supported the Union war effort in the Civil War. And Frederick Douglass's only criticism was that the war had to be fought openly and unapologetically on the issue of abolition and not merely saving the Union, which would have left open some kind of possibility of a compromised peace with the Southern Slavocracy, as was openly advocated by the Democratic Party at the time, which would have been a betrayal of the enslaved in the interest of restoring peace and stability. So the Nation magazine has betrayed the ethic of its own founders. And similarly, the defense of Ukraine must today be waged on the issues of national survival, anti-colonialism, and self-determination in repudiation of a compromised peace that would betray the occupied and the genocided. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Please support us on Patreon. Join the Counter Vortex. Join the resistance. And rant on you next time.